to After the Bell. I'm Zach Borman. I'm joined today by Sue Darden, who is back from Georgia. Yay, Sue! How was Georgia? It was hot and humid, but spending time with the grandkids made it all worth it. Wonderful. Well, we're happy to have you back, and I have a special challenge for us today, Sue. We're going to do this one in five minutes or less. You think we can do it? I'm up for it. All right. All right. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Okay. So um, when we first got there, the room was full again. Who was was there this time? Uh, They had some students from the Mountain View Leadership Board. They had students and parents of kids who were going to, uh, that were being recognized because they were um, National Merit Semifinalists. And they had the National Junior Honor Society students from Sawtooth there to lead the pledge. So after all those things happened, it cleared out pretty fast. Okay. Yeah. And super proud as always of, of those national merit finalists. Like that's a, that's a heck of an achievement. And I uh, was proud to see a couple Rocky kids go up there. Um, but uh, who, who, which school had the most national merit scholars scholars five from Centennial. Surprisingly, and... the, there were 16 total five from Centennial and five from Renaissance. Wow. Three from Rocky, one from Oahe, one from Meridian, one from Eagle. So representation okay. across a district, but um, but Centennial and, and Renaissance had the most. Right. Okay. Um, wasn't much of a bub review or a superintendent's update, was there? No, they just talked about those in the leadership council at uh, Mountain View and the young men who spoke were very impressive how they're trying to redefine the culture after COVID and the things they're doing and working with other schools um, so that this is happening across the district. So it was pretty impressive all the things they're trying to do to bring back school spirit and make kids feel connected. Okay. So we moved into patron comments right thereafter, and there was only one gentleman who spoke, a parent of a, of a Rocky student, I believe. But um, uh, he was had some kerns, concerns about the survey that just went out. Right, and legitimate concerns too, because um, he was concerned that people with no opinion uh, were averaged in with definitely not. Um, he felt some of the questions were asking for a blank check. Do we need elementary schools without stating specifics of where they were? And for me to take the survey, I even had to lie because it asked if you were a patron, if you were a parent or a staff member. But then if you did not mark a high school in a grade, you could not partic- take the rest of the survey. So you could take it, but then it wouldn't take it until you you filled in those boxes. So I had to lie and say that I had a student in school now where my youngest graduated back in 2009. So we raised some legitimate concerns about the company that they're hiring and the way that they're um, gathering and representing the data. So I think the district does need to take a look at that. Okay. Interesting. So they passed the consent agenda and moved into the the uh, third readings of Greg Wilson's communications policies. Um, not much new there. If you've been listening to the episodes, uh, I, I, I'm right. not and, concerned um, about them at all. I just, I do think that um, staff members need to really make sure they're aware of policy 1103.10, which is the employee use of social media, especially right. when um 
working with students. And I think that would be high school uh, teachers and, and especially coaches should make sure that they are, are well-versed in that policy. Absolutely. Policy 602.30 was the first reading and the last reading, yes, of, uh, yeah. of the textbook hearing process. Right, because they need to come in compliance with state law. The now requires half of a committee for textbooks has to be made up of parents. And so they needed it approved in one reading because they were just fixing the change to match the state standards. And they need to start a K-5 literacy adoption committee. So they needed to have this policy in place to do that. Ozuna was... um... Ozuna asked some questions afterwards. It was just kind of like in the past they've had, they've tried to ensure that representation came from all the different zones. And so she was kind of like wanting to make sure that when those parents were selected, that they were uh, a representation of the entirety of the district. Yeah. Right. And Marcus said that the survey they send out to interested parents does ask the zone so that they will do that. And then she had asked if trustees help to choose the committees and uh, Marcus said that they haven't, but they could. And she said, no, she just wanted to know the procedure. So they were okay with the board still choose the, or the, sorry, the DSC choosing the committee, but they do want representation across the zones, which does make sense. Do we know at all what the, so when there is over 50 or over of parents of that committee, and then the rest is administration and, and staff or whatnot, like how, what is, what is approval of a book look like? Is it just like majority of the group as a whole, or does the, does a group have to be unanimously in favor of a, of a textbook? Do you know anything along those lines? I know it doesn't have to be unanimous. It's a majority, but they go through and sometimes they have teachers pilot and they get feedback and um, they do have teachers come in and look at it. They'll also have it open for parents to come in and go through the books and look at them. So uh, they go through, it's quite a long process because they do have different times when they're waiting at the district office for parents to come in, uh, for teachers to come in and go through the books. And they do try to get some of them out into teachers' hands for teachers to do some lessons and give feedback. So the next little bit, the next two agenda items were something that made David Benetti's heart very happy, I'm sure, because they were mainly kind of like a thinning out of an overly dense and um, probably overly wordy policy manual. Yeah. Um, the, the order of business for the regular board meetings in particular was stripped of quite a bit and kind of made a, a simple little easy to understand bullet pointed list. Right. And so um, that now the board agenda will just uh, not, it won't state the order, but it will just have a list of things on there so that they can then choose the order as the, the meeting's meetings. going, which will be interesting because public comment has been first, but maybe public comment will then move till after they've had a board discussion and the public could weigh in. I, I don't know, but yeah, I, I genuinely think that would be more useful as to kind of like hear the basics of something, the, the context of it, and then offer patron feedback to what has been stated, you know, I don't know. It just, it seems in a weird place yeah. to me at the moment. I think it would be more effective and useful to be later in the agenda. Um, and it used to be when they freedom. would discuss would... a policy that then they could take patron comment on that policy before they moved on to the next thing. So 
it would be if there's a policy on the order of business and you had a comment, then they'd say any patron comments and then they go on, you know, right. so and but usually they only had one or two um, people speaking when that happened, but it that's the way it used to be until um, more recently when they put it just first. Okay. Um, all right. So policy 701.20 was recommended that it just basically be removed entirely from the policy manual and it just become a procedure, right? Can you explain a little bit about what this meal exchange for cafeteria supervisory well, services? I don't even is? know what that really means, but um, Jonathan who presented it did say that it's what they already do, but it really is a procedure, not a policy. It will not change operations at all. Dr. Bub reiterated that. And so it just makes it because it's what they do. It just makes it a procedure. So they said it did not need to be in policy. Maybe I misunderstood this, but I, I think that it was like that the classified support staff earning meals in exchange for um, services rendered during lunch periods or something like that. But I, I could be wrong there. But anyway. I really don't know. I don't think they didn't really clarify it. So that's what it reads like meal exchange or cafeteria supervisory services. So yeah, it, it, it's one of the things like if you work then you can eat for free. Yeah, I think so. Like. And and the whole point of it is that it may look like, you know, on the on the outside it may look like they're taking that that extra little compensation away from classified staff, but they're not. They're just moving it into the procedures as opposed to it needing to be in the policy book. Right. Which I did I did ask Dr. Bub afterwards, does that mean so they're as they're building their little assembly system and stuff like that, they have policies and then they have the ARs, which is what administrative administrative um uh, I forget what the R stands for, but it's just those are the procedures. So there are the policies and then if you see the ARs in the policy manual, those are the administrative procedures that the school district is to follow or the administrators are are to follow. And so um, these these policies that are becoming procedures and or just descriptions of how to enforce the policies will all be available eventually here in the the assembly in the assembly system. Okay, yeah, I was not aware of that. Yeah. Um, okay, so then we had a lot of action items. They just approved and or rescinded. They had to rescind all of the communication, the previously existing communication policies in order to replace them with the new policies and and uh, approve the first readings and, and that kind of stuff of, of all that. So nothing, nothing really special happened beyond that point in the meeting, right? Right. Okay. I think the important things happen after the meeting. Right. Which were? <laughs> well, that I forgot the name of the gentleman we talked to, David, somebody, Reinhardt, but Reinhardt. Okay. Concerns about late buses at Galileo last Thursday, we had a bus that did not arrive until 5, 10 PM. Um, yesterday when I left school at four 30, uh, there were still two teachers out on duty waiting with a group of students for that same bus. And they're having busing issues at other schools like Star and Spalding and probably a lot of others we haven't heard about. And so if a teacher has to stay past um, the scheduled duty time, then they are to fill out a blue time card. We got that clarified. And um, they need to be aware 
uh, of the issues that they can still continue to work with them. Um, and they'll be talking to Cascade today about some of these concerns like that we're having at Galileo. So um, teachers do need to make sure that their administrators are passing that on to Cascade. You know, we've been patient, like, okay, give us a few weeks. Well, it's been about a month, so it's time for them to make sure they've got it um, got it together. And then on a more personal note, I guess being at Galileo, we get treated sometimes as an elementary instead of a middle school. And like tutor.com is a program the district purchased, but we had not heard about it at Galileo yet. And Marcus said it was because they're saving it for elementary um, and they were going to present it to the principals so they could tell the teachers before conference time that they could share it with the parents. So elementary students aren't being encouraged to use it until after conferences near the end of October. Um, so that was interesting. Okay. Um, to go back to the busing issue for just a moment, uh, I did... You know, I've been talking with, I've been, I've got confirmation from Dr. Bub um, to almost two weeks ago at this point that they would be compensating people for um, extra time, you know, especially if they're doing it on a regular basis. And um, uh, I don't think that that has been clearly communicated out to employees or whatnot. So that was one of the things we were talking with David Reinhardt about last night is like, how can this be the process? you know, what teachers need to do and, and when they're allowed to do it kind of thing. So hopefully we'll see that in the next couple of days, I'll, I'll be kind of like pushing on the, on the district end to, to make sure that that goes out and people are clear that they're not going to be abused for their extra time and, and loss of prep time or whatnot as a result of, of the busing situation. So, right. Okay. Anything else we need to talk about, Sue? Uh, just Marcus, um, is there's going to be starting a committee for middle school um, that's talking about a, a uniform late work policy. And so far he hasn't formed that committee, but I would like to make sure that it, that the WAEA is well represented on there. Right. Yeah. That whole late work thing is a whole can of worms. And now that we're out of COVID and stuff like that, you know, I think, uh, applying some some more clear and and regular expectations about late work is probably a good thing for our students and and for the sanity of our teachers so <laughs> right i my big concern though is like is this going to be for next year are they going to expect us to change our policy in the middle of a semester or the year because that makes the district look reactionary as opposed to um like looking like somebody who's trying to come up with something for the the that best um, meets the needs of our students. So if they, if teachers have communicated their policy and then are required to change it um, because the district has come up with a new thing, I, I don't think is the best communication system for, or that looks the best for, for the district. Well, that's an interesting question. I'll be meeting with Marcus in early October to talk about a number of different things. And uh, that is certainly a question that I can ask him. Also, if any listeners have any questions about that, that policy or anything else specifically having to do with curriculum that, that I should be asking Marcus, please feel free to email me at president at westdataea.org. And I will be happy to um, forward those questions to him or 
to bring those questions up with him and and get answers out in either weekly updates or podcasts or both. So, right, because like I take off twenty percent if it's turned in after a test. They have until the the test. Well, if if they change that in the middle of the semester, am I going to have to go back and revise a bunch of grades? Mm. Because parents are going to say, "Well, what about the assignment that they?" you know, didn't turn in back, you know, and at whatever point, I just think it could cause a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I doubt that. I, I think that that would be something that they would either need to switch at semester or next year. I, I would, I would bet that if they do do it, it would be semester, but cause you can, at least at the high school level, you know, you can sort of revise your, you have to revise your syllabuses and that kind of thing. Um, for second right. semester. So, okay. All right, Sue. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. And You're uh, welcome. I don't we'll... think we made the five minutes though, Zach. The no, we certainly together. did not. <laughs> it's kind of like the, the running joke here, I think, is that we were always like, do we, we were discussing last night, do we even need to record because tonight or tonight was so short and, and <laughs> you know, not a whole lot really happened, but here we are 17, 18 minutes later. <laughs> So, all right, Sue. Well, we'll talk to you after the next meeting. Okay, great. Thanks, Zach. Bye. Absolutely. Bye.